We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. So today we are going to look at a study on the lessons from the Last Supper. And we're actually going to look at a lot of different texts in our Bible. But we're going to start over in Luke chapter 22. Luke 22. And we're going to start off in verse 14. Uh, There's a book, um, many books actually, but here's one of them. It's called The Harmony of the Gospels. And what it does is it takes all the different events in the Gospels and uh, um, it harmonizes them because you guys probably know this, but just in case you didn't, the Gospel is not written in chronological order. You know, you know, one thing and then you jump over there, then you come back over here. And so sometimes it's hard to figure out how things really laid out. But when you put them all side by side, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're able to kind of see how everything flowed that night. And what I wanted to just kind of share with you guys, um, you guys know what Good Friday, that's a real famous uh, saying. What do they call Thursday? Does anybody know? Maundy Thursday. And you're like, wow, that's weird. Why Maundy Thursday? Well, it comes from the Latin word, which means mandate. And that word uh, means command. And so on that Thursday, the Lord gave some commands. He gave some insight. And I think that, you know, when you go through... And you read John chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16. You get to see a lot of the things the Lord shared that night. Um, You read through the gospel, some of the things we're going to touch on today. And you're going to see some of the last things that Jesus said before he died. And so tonight is what's known as the Last Supper. Um, You guys have probably seen the painting. I remember when I used to work at Vaughn's, when I I quit and I went to go uh, work at the church, um, they, they gave me a, the, a dinner for my last day I was there. They called it the Last Supper because <laughs> they knew I was a Christian, you know. And so they were just having fun with that. Um, and I was just tripping out on that, like your last meal. Like if you knew you were going to die, you know, what would you eat or who would you eat with? You know, I was reading online about all these guys on death row and some of the things that they ordered before they died. And, uh, you know, for us, I, I think, obviously, um, the, the, the content of the meal may not be a, me as big, but the, just the fact that it was a Passover and then he ate it with his apostles is big. And the things that he said, that Jesus said, are, are so cool. And so I know we can't remember a lot of things, right? Because most of you guys were, were not that smart, right? Well, some of you are, but I'll just talk about myself. Let me just tell you three things uh, we're going to learn tonight. Number one... Um, I know your calling. you, you got to know your calling as a servant. And we're going to see that's one of the things that Jesus really emphasized that Thursday. And then, and then as we go through, we're going to build upon that. Look what we read in Luke 22, in verse 14. It says, When the hour had come, he sat down, and the twelve apostles with him. And then he said to them with fervent desire, I have desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then if you jump over to verse 24, this is what happened next. It says, Now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors, but not so among you. 
On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, who who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as the one who serves. You could read this also in Mark chapter 14, verse 17, Matthew 26, 20. Um, when Jesus is about to die, I don't know if you guys trip out on this, man. He's about to die. And his, you know, his guys, his apostles are arguing about who's the greatest. You know, like who's going to be the greatest? Hey, I'm going to have the top spot, man. No, I'm going to be in the right hand of Jesus, you know. Because remember, their mentality is they think Jesus is going to overthrow the Roman government and, you know, he's going to set up his kingdom. And all, here's all these guys that Jesus has been teaching for three, three and a half years. And they're just, they're just you know, like some guys. Um, some guys are really competitive, man. And it just comes out as far as, you know, we're going to be the greatest. No, I'm going to be the greatest. And uh, we see this is a struggle that they had. As a matter of fact, it wasn't the first time. If you want to just mark yourself right here and then go over to Mark uh, chapter 9. I would imagine this happened repeatedly. I don't know. Maybe it was something they messed around a lot of, you know, over, you know. Hey, no. I mean, you never know. Uh, But Mark chapter 9, right here in verse 33, we see another time they argued about this. And it says, Then he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent, for on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. And so it goes way back. They're just arguing about who's going to be the greatest. And so what he did, it says in verse 35, he sat down, he called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. And then he took a little child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. You want to be great? Serve in the children's ministry. <laughs> you know, he says, you just receive one of these little children, then, you know, you receive me. And remember, the, the end of the day that my father sent me, then you receive the father. No, but I want to be the head honcho. I want to be the pastor. I want to be, you know, whatever that spot is that you think is great. And one day you're going to stand before God and those people, they're going to be tripping out because it wasn't about the, what the way the world thinks of like, how many people can I boss around? How many people do I have authority over? No, that's not greatness in God's eyes. Greatness is so much more than that. You know, these little children, you know, and I, and I think of these kids, a lot of times no one pays attention to them. They're neglected. Um, and God says, this is the one who's first, you know. And, and I just find that when Jesus was dying, when Jesus was there on Monday, Thursday, giving the mandates, the commandments, one of the things that you'll see is that this is a large part of his lessons in the in the Last Supper. If you go back to Luke, we read our study here, and he just says, hey, you guys, you know, the kings of the Gentiles, they, they do all that kind of stuff. They exercise lordship, but it's not so among you. You know, the desire to excel for the glory of God is good. You know, to be the best that you can be. To be great in the kingdom of God is really you know, a heart, I guess it's a target that we want. The desire to be great, however, in the eyes of man is a snare. That's not good. 
And here is teach, Jesus is teaching us to be willing to be willing to be small in man's eyes if that means to follow him wherever he might lead us. You know, that's how we can be the best and it's that type of desire that we should acquire, man. Lord, I just want to be great in your eyes. I don't it doesn't matter what people think. God, I just want to be great in your eyes. To be great has at its heart to be great in God's sight, but it also carries the idea I think in the context here at the same time, it's like, okay, all right, you want to be a leader? You want to be a leader? You want to be great? You want to be first or whatever it is? Then you got to make sure that you cultivate a heart of servanthood. You know, to be raised up in the kingdom of God, yeah, maybe that is a little bit about what Jesus is talking about. But what you got to do is you got to have a heart of a servant. You know, most of you probably know the prophecy in Isaiah 53, right? How Jesus died and suffered. And, you know, it's interesting, though. It starts in Isaiah 52. And you know what Jesus is called there in that whole context of suffering? He's called the servant. The servant. You know, because at the end of the day, when Jesus laid down his life there on Calvary, when he died for our sins... It was because he had that heart of absolute surrender and service unto his Father. And that's the title that Jesus has there, Isaiah fifty-two thirteen. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. You know, and so here the Lord, he gives this lesson. You know, not so among you. You guys are different. On the contrary, he was greatest among you. Let him be as the younger uh, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? And, you know, they're just saying, well, yeah, it's the one who's, who sits, right? And Jesus said, well, yeah, that's me, but I'm among you as one who serves. And it's at this point where you go over to John chapter 13. And it's this is where the Lord, you know, guys, I know you know the story, right? With Jesus washed feet on that night. This is where we find it at right after this whole, these guys are wanting to be great and the Lord's giving them a teaching. It says in verse 1, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, he rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash, you have no part with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you, for he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, you are not all clean. You know, he's teaching them about being a servant. And I think that probably, uh, there's no doubt in my mind, the whole time, 
Jesus had always been, you know, that that servant to these guys. You know, you need some water? Hey, I'll, I'll get you some water. Hey, let's scrub this thing up. Hey, and then you see Jesus probably emptying the trash and just doing all the menial tasks, like Paul in Acts chapter 28, just going and gathering sticks for the fire. You know, the things that the people would consider little, you know, he's vacuuming. They didn't have vacuums back then, but you know what I mean? You know, and uh, last night our, our vacuum cord broke. I, I don't know, just got to shorten it. So, you know, I cut it and I fixed it. You know, and that's not a big deal, right, guys? My family was tripping out on me. They thought I was a genius. They're like, hey, how'd you fix the vacuum? I'll, I used to do stuff like this all the time, right? You know, hot wire cars and stuff. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> no, but you know, um, here's the Lord doing all these little things. And then right here, you guys know the context back then. Um, you know, they didn't have sewers. You know, guys walked around in sandals, animals, you know, did their thing all over the place. So there was poop and stuff. And, you know, just stepping in the dirt, your feet were dirty. And so whenever you would go over someone's house, it was always the task of the lowest slave to wash feet. But apparently that night, and remember, when they had dinner, they would recline. And so they would see people's feet. They probably smell people's feet. Nobody did anything. So what did Jesus do? Jesus, you know, girded himself, got some water, got a towel. Have you ever washed someone's feet? Have you guys ever done that? You're like my kids. No, I'm talking about when they get older, when they get dirty, when they get toe jam, when they get, you know, smelly and all that, you know? Have you ever done that? And for us, it's, it's not the same because we don't have the cultural, you know, concept that they did. But, you know, just to be that, that servant, I guess to me, whenever I think of this, I just think of scrubbing toilets. You know, I, I just think, man, what's the lowest task? Are you willing to just scrub toilets or do you got to be like the head honcho? And, and, and it's a matter of the heart. You know, I, I used to scrub toilets for seven years. I loved it. I loved it because I used to put my headphones on and worship and mop and sweep and all that kind of stuff. It was great. You know, but God wants us to keep that heart. Here we see Jesus going and washing everybody's feet. And one of the things I like about it is, number one, it's practical. And number two, it's spiritual. It's both. And I think that that's the way it works for us when we want to have a servant's heart. We don't just go do something, you know, with no no spirit to it, with no purpose to it, with no, you know, desire to minister to someone in some type of way that would reach them in a spiritual fashion. You know, here the Lord washes their feet and he meets a practical need. But here's what happens. You know, he gets to Peter and Peter says, Lord, you're never washing my feet. And Jesus said, oh, yes, I am. If I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. And then Peter said, okay, give me a bath. You guys know the story, right? And the Lord's all, dude, and he slaps him upside the head. You don't need that. You're already clean. But he who's clean, they only need to clean their feet. And what he's talking about here is he's talking about how, how we get dirty in life. You know, you're a Christian, then you're clean. But as you walk through this world, your feet get dirty. Every day we sin, right? And so that's when the Lord is willing in His humility to cleanse us of those sins. It's like our feet getting dirty. And to me, what ends up happening is there's a practical need met and there's a spiritual need met. Like for example, sometimes people in the body, you know, they might have a surgery or they might have something going on. Maybe they gave birth to a baby. And so what ends up happening is the helps ministry, they make them a meal, and you know how you know how it is. I believe in this that when you make a meal, 
if you make it with love, you guys know the difference? They can taste it, huh? Whereas it's like, oh, I'm just going to do this, you know? And that doesn't taste good. There's nothing wrong with this. Because you need to make it with love, right? And you make it with love and you take it over there to their house. It meets a practical need. Like, oh, cool, we don't have to cook today. Sweet, you know? And hey, that tastes good, man. You should see Maria's, uh, what are they called? Um, Chilerianos or chicken mole. I just taught, hit her up, man. It's really good stuff. You know, and it meets a practical need. But you guys know, huh? It's way deeper than that. It's a spiritual need. You see, and that's what happens when we have this, this servant's heart. You know, when we do things like that. You know, someone might not be able to see it. Oh, he's just washing feet. But there's just so much more to that. Some might not be able to see it. Oh, they're just cooking a meal and taking a meal. But there's so much more to that. And there's a Lord there on Maundy Thursdays. He's teaching lessons. And these guys are struggling with, you know, their greatness. Thank God for that. Because what that does is that opens up to us a lesson that's so important. That we need to have, you know, um, a heart of a servant, you guys. I pray that we'd be willing to do anything. Tell you what, man, I'm willing to do anything God's called me to do, the helps ministry, the children's ministry, the toe jam ministry, whatever it is, altar ministry, whatever God calls us to, right? I was reading about a student at a Bible school in the Philippines, and uh, he was pretty upset because the condition of the men's restroom wasn't looking too good and it smelled, and he said it was always neglected. And so when nothing was done to eliminate the filth, he took matters into his own hands, and then what he did is he went into the, the principal's office, and he complained. Hey, man, those bathrooms are dirty. You guys need to get somebody to take care of that. So what ended up happening is a little while later, the student noticed that the problem was being corrected, but he saw with amazement that the man with the mop and pail in his hand was a principal himself. Later the student commented, and this is a true story, I thought he would call a janitor, but he cleaned the toilets himself. And it was a major lesson to me on being a servant. And of course it raised a question in my own mind as to why I hadn't taken care of the problem myself. You see, being a servant is huge. How does Paul identify himself? Every letter, a servant. A bondservant every single time. You guys got to know who you are as Christians. We're, you know, servants. To be a servant of God should be synonymous with being a Christian, you know, making whatever sacrifices are necessary to do our part in the wonderful gospel of God. You see, Paul being a servant was then used by God so that others can bring, be brought to Christ. And that's what ends up happening. Wherever you serve, God will use you. Maybe you won't be the pastor or the evangelist. It doesn't even matter. But as you're serving, God will use your life. And in looking at Jesus, and he's about to lay down his life, we can't separate his sacrifice from his service. He was a servant to save us. And we should be servants that people would be saved. Like I told you guys many times, life is a lot like tennis. The one with the best serve wins. Okay, remember that, you guys. Okay, so number one, um, know your calling as a servant. Number two, um, know your, to be careful not to stumble. And I think this is a lesson we learned as well that night. Because uh, look over in Matthew 26. 
Matthew 26, in verse 21, it says, Now as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. And each one of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? He answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, and you guys know Judas, right? Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? He said to him, Yes, you have said it. You're going to betray me. You're the one. And I have a feeling that Jesus wasn't saying this to, you know, to set his fate and you know, seal it. Um, to the very end, the Lord was reaching out to Judas. To the very end, when Judas came and he kissed him, remember? In the garden. Hey, I want to identify him, the one that I kiss. And Rabboni, and he gave him a kiss. Right? The Lord said, you betray the Son of Man with a kiss. I mean, the Lord is trying to reach this guy. You know, all of you here, God, I don't know where you're at in your relationship with the Lord. Maybe some of you here, you don't know the Lord. You know, and God is going to try to speak to you, you know, all your life. Nobody knows how long you have. It could be a bus, a car accident, whatever. Next thing you know, life's over. We have to be careful. We're going to learn a lesson from Judas. We'll also learn a lesson from Peter. You know, we don't want to do the same thing. You know, Judas right here was identified by Christ. The Lord's heart began to break, man, because he knew that he was going to be betrayed. I mean, it's one thing if you get betrayed by your, you know, enemy, somebody who's always been your enemy, but it's another thing when it's your close friend, you know, that lifts their heel against you, right? And turns against you. You know, go over to John chapter 13, and there was uh, more to it. John 13, in verse 21, it says, When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was, leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. And then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. And then Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he had said this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box that Jesus had said to him, Buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Even verse 30 says, Having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately, and it was night. You know, just, I don't know, we got to know our calling as servants. You know, I, I pray that you would. Uh, and then we got to be careful not to stumble. And, and when I say stumble, I mean, there's two types of people. We're all going to stumble. We try not to. Try not to. But some people stay down, right? And some people get up. 
Okay, Peter, we're going to see throughout the night that, that God's going to warn him, hey, don't stumble, don't stumble, be careful, man. You know, you're going to you know, deny me. But Peter would get up. See, Judas, he didn't. Judas is in hell right now. Judas is in hell because he didn't heed the warnings. You know, Judas was at the place of honor. Uh, Judas was getting this sop from Jesus. Imagine that. They're dipping, double dipping together. I mean, they're, you guys know how it is when you eat, man. You're one. Nowadays, we eat with pretty much anybody, right? Hey, no, no, no big deal. Back then, you wouldn't just eat with anybody. You would only eat with those that you want to be one with. And uh, the Lord's here eating with Judas. You know, they're sharing their sop together. And it just makes you wonder, you guys, what happened to Judas? What happened to this guy that he would come to a place where he would betray God, that he would betray Jesus Christ? You know, some people say it was his fate, it was his destiny, that Jesus chose him to betray him. But I am a firm believer that that is not true. I believe that Jesus chose the best 12 men for the job. It'd be like you if you were choosing, a, I don't know, let's just say a football team. How many uh, players, is it 11 on each side? Whatever. We'll just say 22 guys. Okay, you're choosing a football team. You're going to choose the best 22 players available. And I believe that Jesus chose the best 12 guys. I don't think that he chose Jesus, Judas to betray him. There's no way, Right. And so he chose these guys, it says, you know, to do the job as apostles, to be with him, to go out for him, to, you know, serve him and the people. You know, as a matter of fact, it's interesting that Judas was the treasurer. And, you know, usually the one with the money is the one that you trust, right? Hey, we really trust this guy. And even in looking at this, it doesn't appear that the apostles even began to suspect Judas in any way. They thought, man, there's no way it could be Judas. The last one you would think... Maybe Peter, that guy right there, yeah, he might betray you. Because he's so, um, what's that word, you know, unstable, right? But not Judas, right? And so, so what happened to him? Well, let me give you three things about Judas that I think we need to learn. Uh, and there's a lot more to it, but here's some things to start with. Number one, he didn't get his way. He was ticked off at God because he didn't get his way. You know, his way, his concept was that the Messiah was going to come and he's going to overthrow the Roman government and we're going to start this new thing and I'm going to be there working with him, right? But that wasn't God's plan, not yet. You know, there was, you know, the Jews didn't know there was actually two comings. Second time he comes, he is going to overthrow the government. He is going to topple the government. He is going to rule the world. He is going to be king. And his 12 apostles will rule with him. But not yet. See, and a lot of times what ends up happening, why people backslide, is because they don't get their way like a little two-year-old. It's like, man, wait on the Lord. You know, Judas was upset. He didn't get his way. Number two, he didn't get his pay. Okay? And he started, you know, taking care of the treasuries. And I don't think Jesus had a lot of money, but he had some money. You know, as people would give and, and things like that, maybe he saved up from this carpentry business, so all those years, you know, being a carpenter, and he had something, you know, Judas started taking care of the money, next thing you know, he wanted it. And you know, one thing he really had his eye on, he really had his eye on what, what, what Mary of Bethany had. She had, you know, I don't know, $50,000 that he knew was coming their way. 
And when one day when she took that, that perfume, we read it in John, I think it's chapter 11, and, uh, and she, just, she, just, she just gives it all to Jesus by pouring out the perfume upon him, Judas was upset. He said, why wasn't this money sold and given to the poor? But the Bible says that he wanted that money. And that's what happens a lot of times. People, they, they turn their backs on God. Number one, because they don't get their way. Or number two, because they don't get their pay. The Bible says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. There are many people who stumble and stay down for the almighty dollar. Judas did. And to me, it's just so crazy. You know, he did for 20 pieces of silver. What a drag. He didn't get his way. He didn't get his pay. And then the third thing is that he didn't repent. He didn't repent. You know, when you read Jesus' story, and it's interesting, after everything happens, not, you know, before, you know, this, the resurrection, but, you know, he takes the money, throws it, you know, hey, you guys, I, I, I betrayed innocent, you know, blood. And, and they're all like, hey, you already did it. Just keep it. And Jesus says, oh, no. And he throws it all down there. And, and what does he do? He goes and he hangs himself. He commits suicide. Now, someone might look at that and they might say, oh, Judas was sorry. No, he wasn't sorry. Yeah, but Judas cried. It doesn't mean he repented. It doesn't mean he's right with God. You know, he cried, but it, he, he wasn't broken. He was not broken, man. He didn't turn to God. He didn't return to Jesus. All he would have to do is just go back to Jesus and things would be right. But see, he didn't. And that's the difference between Judas and Peter. And over the years, you know, over the years, I've seen people, you guys know Billy Graham, right? Well, one of Billy Graham's right-hand men who was with him in the evangelistic, you know, crusades and being used by God in a mighty way eventually came to a place where he became an atheist. Now, some might say, well, he was never saved. You know, maybe not. Looked like it, though. Smelt like it. Talked like it. Walked like it. But now he's an atheist. See, you've got to be careful. You know, because Judas, I, I, I don't think, I mean, even us here, to be honest with you, if you're going to get involved in ministry, you got to know the Lord. Okay? you got to know the Lord. So, you think we have higher standards than Jesus? No, if someone's involved in ministry with Jesus, they know the Lord. Judas knew the Lord. But he became a son of perdition. And he betrayed Christ. We have to abide in him. You see, we have to learn from Judas, and we have to learn from Peter. Uh, look here, um, if you would, John 13 and verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, Where I am going, where I am going you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I love you. No, I'm just going to say, I will lay down my life for your sake, right? And Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. I don't know him. I don't know Jesus. And then, you know, start using, you know, curse words. You know, I swear. And now when there's no Hebrew curse words, I don't. I swear to God, I don't know him. 
I don't know him. You know, the Lord is saying, hey, Peter, you better be careful. If you go back to Mark chapter 14, in verse 27, it says, Then Jesus said to them, All of you, not just you, Peter, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. And there's that word stumble. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, Even if all are made to stumble, <laughs> yet I will not be. And don't you guys think that's kind of funny? Don't you? I mean, you look at that. He's like, Lord, even if all these other you know, sinners, <laughs> I'll never deny you. You know, he's just so self-confident, right? He's just so self-confident. Jesus said to him, Okay, Peter, surely I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me. Now he uses the twice on the rooster. Now you're going to deny me three times. But he spoke more vehemently. If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Now, you know, the thing is, is there was a, there was a battle going on for these guys. There was a battle going on for... Judas and Peter and James and John and Andrew and Matthias and all these guys, just like there is a battle going on for you. You know, who knows? You might not even want to be here. Like, why am I doing that church? Oh, they, I got drugged here by somebody. Or, you know, I don't want God. Or, you know, ah, I don't want to be a Jesus freak. You know, I don't want to be really into this religious stuff. And and it's not a religion. It's a relationship. And it's, it's God who loves you. And I don't know how the enemy, you know, goes fishing. But, you know, a lot of times, man, he'll just try to drag people away. There is a battle going on for us. There's a battle going on for me. I mean, you might think, well, he's a pastor. And so he's set. No way. I mean, it could happen, and I've seen it happen in many ways. And I have my struggles, and I have my mental, you know, um, just the enemy shoots darts at my mind. He shoots darts at my heart. There's a battle going on for us. You know, Judas is an example of someone who didn't do his part. God will do his part, but we have to do ours as well. Here, you know, these guys, um, it's interesting. You know, the Lord had told um, Peter that Satan had asked for him. In Luke 22, verse 31 and 32, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed to you that you, for you that your faith would not fail. And when you return, strengthen your brothers. See, the Lord does His part, but we have to do our part. Just keep believing, right? That our faith would not fail. You know, there's a big time battle going on for these guys. And if you were there and think about it, you know, you're starting this whole thing up or whatever. We'll even, pick, we'll even visualize it as saying you're starting a church. Okay, now you got your 12 guys, your main guys. So we'll just say they're your 12 guys in your church, right? And then all of a sudden, you get arrested as the leader and then, so you're going to, uh, you know, stand before the Sanhedrin. They're going to condemn you. And they're going to kill you. They're going to crucify you. How do you keep this whole thing from falling apart? 
right? And of course we know the answer is the resurrection. But it would take three days. Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday Jesus rose. What happened between those three days? Judas killed himself. Right? What was going on in Peter's mind? What was going on in all these guys' mind? See, you got to wait on the Lord. And then you're going to find, man, that as you don't give up, as you don't lose heart, as you by faith know that there's victory ahead, even though sometimes you can't see it, God will do the work. You see, what we find is that Judas killed himself, Matthew 27, verse 5. Prior to that, Acts chapter 1, verse 18 says the same thing. And basically, the enemy didn't want any of them to survive those first few days. But Jesus said, listen, I prayed for you. And, and what we do in looking at this whole lesson is come away with things I think God wants us to know. Number one, you're calling as a servant. Number two, be careful not to stumble. How much better it would not have been if Peter and Judas had not fallen. What was Peter's problem? Well, we see it right here. What would you say? This one, what's the lesson that's obvious right here? Overconfident. I'll never fall. If you say that, I'll never fall, you, then you move to the front of the line, right? You guys know that. Oh, I'll never have an affair. Ooh, really? I'll never drink again. I'll never do drugs again. I'll never stop believing. And you know, I, I think it's cool you know, to have a confidence in the Lord, but not in yourself. You know, Peter was filled with pride. All these other guys... <laughs> Man, they're just, they're just, you know, they're carnal Christians. <laughs> I, I'm different, right? And so be careful. The Bible says uh, in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. I'm so glad that I have my wife, man. She keeps me accountable, let me tell you, man. <laughs> Today I was uh, vacuuming the car and, and she said, Are you sure you're over there? She calls me on the phone. I'm like, hey, can I call you back? So what does she do? She shows up, man, the car wash. And I said, I am so proud of you, sweetheart. No, but you know, seriously, you guys, she was on the road doing other things. But I tell you what, wives, keep your husbands accountable. Keep them accountable. There's nothing wrong with that. Checking their phone, checking their emails. Hey, where are you? You know, I don't know if guys are going to keep their wives accountable. Do they? Yeah, probably, huh? You know, but I thank God for that. Because what if I was to tell her, well, why do you do that? I would never fall into sexual sin. Then something's wrong, huh? I thank God for that. We need to have that heart that says, you know what? If it were not for the grace of God, there go I. Right? N number two, and you guys know the story with Peter, is that he, he didn't pray. He wouldn't pray the way that he should have. In Matthew 26, 41, when Jesus took Peter, James, and John and up in the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, he said, hey, you guys, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. When you don't pray, your flesh gets stronger than your spirit. And so you're like, you're cruising and you haven't been praying and then, you know, you haven't, you haven't stopped. You're so busy doing what? You guys got to pray. We got to pray, we got to stop, we got to spend that special time with the Lord or be talking to Him throughout the day. Peter's problem, number one, overconfidence. Number two, he wasn't praying, a prayerlessness. 
And then number three, he followed at a distance. We read that in Matthew 26, 58. Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard. You know, and there's some people that are content with that. Do you guys ever follow people? You're, you're like, you know, you're caravanning and, you know, um, you're following them. And then this, this dumb car gets between you. Does that ever happen to you? Right? The problem with that is because then, then that car might let another car in between you. And the next thing you know, you're following at a distance. That's what happens to us as Christians. You know, and, and we're following the Lord. Next thing you know, something comes between us. Next thing you know, something else comes between us. Next thing you know, you don't even realize that you think you're following. You're like, hey, I think that's the car over there. I think that's Jesus over there. But you're not even 100% sure anymore. Because you're, you're following at a distance. I always tell people, you know, love God this much, yeah, but love God this much, where nothing comes between you. See, you got to make sure Peter, unfortunately, began to follow at a distance. And then number four, and this was the final straw, he warmed himself by the enemy's fire. You know, there he was, think about it, sitting with the enemies. I mean, what do you think is going to happen? You think you're going to have some spiritual conversation about the love of Christ? No way. You know, and you guys might go, and I, I don't know how, how things are. Some of you are stronger than others. Some of you are weaker, but you go and you hang out. Your best friend's not even a Christian. What kind of spiritual advice are they going to give you? What kind of advice are they going to give you in the world? You go and you have problems drinking, but you're like, hey, I'm going to go witness in the bar over here. You know, silly things people do. You know, and, and you warm yourself by the enemy's fire. These are people that are against God. And God says, hey, no, surround yourself with other Christians. You know, be so careful. You know, Mark 14, 54, it says, Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. Now, you have to admit, sometimes, you know, you want to do that. You know, if it's cold, it's cold outside, and you're like, man, I want some of that fire. You know, but what you got to do is you got to ask the Lord for the grace and the wisdom to be able to keep your distance and maybe even, you know, start your own fire. You know, God will do that work. You know, looking at this Last Supper and lessons, I, number one, I, I want to encourage you to know your calling as a servant is something that Jesus taught that night ever so clearly. Number two, I want you to know you're, you need to be careful not to stumble. Don't make the same mistakes that Judas made and, and that Peter made. But then here's the last thing, and it, and it might be the most important thing. Are you a Christian? Are you? You know, I remember before I got saved, I thought I was. You know, because I went you know, to Catholic school and I was even a, an altar boy. I rang the bells. You know, one time the priest got mad at me because I rang him at the wrong time, but <laughs> I remember one time serving as altar boys, man. Afterwards, the priest, he took off his robe and he's, he was in us because we were talking the whole time, you know. I went to Catholic school. I made all my sacraments. I read the Bible over and over again, but I didn't know the Lord. Are you a Christian? And that's the most important question of all. Well, you're like, well, how do I become a Christian? Well, yeah, I'm a Christian because, you know, my parents are Christians. Well, God has no grandchildren. Are you a Christian? How do you get saved? 
where you have to repent of your sins. In other words, you know, be willing to let it go. If you're like, no, I'm going to hold on to my sexual sin, then you're probably you're not going to get saved. You got to be willing to let it go. No, I'm going to hold on to my crystal meth. Well, that's going to get in the way between you and God. You got to let it go. Be willing to let it go. That's all. You might not be able to do it on your own strength, but you have to be willing to let it go. That's what repentance is. Repent of your sins, repent of your unbelief. And then what you do is you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You believe in Him. Believe that He died for you on the cross. Believe that He was put in a grave and He rose the third day. And believe that your faith in Him will save you. See? And that's how a person gets saved. You know, you guys... I'm pretty sure, you know, coming on a Thursday night, you know, most of you here are saved, right? And so, here's the thing. Um, I want you guys to know that. If that's your heart, if that's where your trust is, if Jesus is your Savior and your Lord, then I, 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 the third thing is just know you're a Christian who is saved. Um Turn over to Luke 22. In Luke 22 in verse 19, this is one of the main things, and it took me so long to get here, but, you know, after they had supper, then they would have uh, this um, verse 19 when it comes to the Passover, and he took bread gave thanks and broke it, gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. And here we see the Lord instituting a communion. You know, what it is, is his, is his, is his body, is his blood, is the cross, what it is is a new covenant that you and I have entered into as Christians. It's an agreement, man. You know, and I love, you know, kind of the message here, what I'm kind of sharing with you guys is try not to stumble. Right? Peter, don't be like Peter. But if you do know that there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ, there is forgiveness. You know, and that's our life as Christians. First John 2, verse 1 says, My little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And that's what, you know, the balance, you know. Sometimes you go to churches, they never talk about sin. They never say, hey, don't do drugs. Don't do sexual sin. You know, to be gay is, is, is not right. You know, you go to some churches, they never talk about sin. You know, we got to talk about sin. You know, the Bible says don't sin because what it is, is a toxin to your soul. It'll ruin you, right? And so we talk about sin and we try to encourage you, you know, not to do, don't deny the Lord. Don't betray the Lord, you know. Don't be overconfident. Don't live a life in which you don't pray. Don't follow the Lord at a distance. Don't warm yourself by the enemy's fire. Whatever it is, you know, don't get bummed out, you know, at God because he's not doing things your way and in your time. You know, don't have the audacity to sin like that. You know, accept his way and in his timing, right? So, you know, you're going to hear that a lot from a good church, right? But you also got to hear 
that if you're a Christian and if you do fall, you got to know the power of the blood. You got to know there is forgiveness. You got to know there is freedom. You got to know what Jesus did on that cross. Every single sin you ever did your whole life and every single sin you will ever do for the rest of your life, they were all nailed to the cross. They were all put upon Jesus. He bore our iniquities. He died for us. Remember I told you earlier, you're clean. John 13, Jesus said, you're clean. But he told Judas, not all of you. Was it because Judas hadn't taken a shower that day? No, because at that time, Judas, Satan had already entered him. Right? He said, you're clean. And if you're a Christian here, and, and you know, a lot of times we don't feel like we know we're all that and we're perfect, and, and we're not. But don't let your feelings deceive you. You know, you believe in Jesus. You believe he died for you on the cross. You believe he rose again. Are, are you willing to, to just follow him just kind of the best that you can? Are you at least willing to try? Then cool. <laughs> then you're his. And what ends up happening is, you know, you enter into this covenant that, that Jesus established right here. In Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, it's a new covenant. And uh, something spoken of Hebrews four times, the new covenant. It's a new agreement, not you know written on paper or stone, but written on the heart. It's a covenant not by works, conditionally, but by faith, volitionally. It's not by behavior, but simply by believing. It's a covenant not of shadow, but a covenant of substance. And that's what we have, this new covenant, this new agreement. You know, recently I got some new auto insurance. So excited about this, man. Saved a lot of money, man. They were going to charge us like $600 just because, you know, putting my daughter on our on our auto insurance. I'm like, dude, she's a good driver. What's wrong with you, man? And so we switched over. And, and it's kind of like, I guess you could say, it's a new covenant. And that's what we have now with the Lord. You know? No longer in covenant with someone who's going to rip us off and take us to hell. Now we're in this covenant with God in which he, His blood, Revelations 1.5, it says, washes away all our sins. You guys know that this night was the Passover. And you guys remember the whole story of the Passover? Uh, and we'll close with this. that The Passover was instituted in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 11. And what ended up happening was God set his people free from Egypt. And he had sent all these plagues until finally he sent the one plague that was a plague of all plagues. And what it was was they were to take a lamb and they were to kill the lamb and they were to take the blood of the lamb and they were going to apply it to the doorpost and the lintel. It was like a cross. And when the angel of death came down... If he saw the blood applied to that house, then he would pass over. That's what the Passover is. And here's the way it works for us. If you receive Christ as Lord and Savior, which I know you guys, many of you have, then when that angel of death comes to us and he sees the blood, then he will pass over. Then you will pass over and you will go to heaven one day. 
And we will have a reunion. The Carnage saw the reunion in heaven. Heaven is going to be so cool. Man, we don't just die and stay six feet under. No, there is eternity. The Bible says he's placed it in our hearts, so we know that. And for us, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Jesus is our Passover lamb. But you got to make sure that you trust in him. Don't trust in works, because then it will be counted as a debt against you. And so you got to know your calling as a servant. I want to encourage you to be careful not to stumble. But if you do, praise God that we are a Christian who is saved. And that's really the bottom line. I read a story about a little boy who came running into the house after he was playing outside. And his mother stopped him and asked him what was on his hand. He said, oh, it's just a little mud. His mother then asked if he was planning on getting it off of his hand. He thought for a moment and said, sure, mom, I'll just wipe it off with my other hand. (laughs) There's only one problem with the plan, that one dirty hand plus one clean hand equals two dirty hands when mixed. And so a lot of people are like this, man, like that little boy. They see the evil and the wrongs they do in their life and they think they can make themselves clean by bringing the good in their life to bear on the problems. Even some Christians enter into kind of a works-oriented relationship with God. You can't do that. Our righteousness is as filthy rags, right? But it, it just doesn't work that way. We all need to be made clean only by the cross of Christ. The only solution to be found is the blood of Jesus. And that's what the Passover is all about. That's what Maundy Thursday was. As the Lord began to just set things in motion, he says, with fervent desire, I want to eat this dinner with you. Why? Because now I'm going to save the world. And the Lord said, and this is what he said that night, he said, I can see that guy, man, it's 1989, you know, August 20th. I see this guy right here. I'm going to save his life. And you too. All of whatever the day that you got saved or the season you got saved, Jesus, as he's there and he's ready to go to the cross, he's not afraid, not afraid. He's going with eyes wide open. And he will bear unbearable pain. And he will be separated from the Father. But he will save us. See? And that's why it's so exciting, you guys. That's why I want to encourage you to be used by the Lord, committed to him, whatever it is that God's calling you to do. Because look at what he has done for us. And so if you're here tonight and you're, you're not a Christian or you kind of don't know where you stand, if you were to die today, which, again, not trying to scare you, but you just might, no one knows. No one has tomorrow guaranteed. Or maybe you're here today and you're struggling, you're going through problems, you don't know where you're at in your relationship with the Lord. I want to encourage you tonight, don't leave without praying with somebody, praying with maybe one of the pastors that are here. You know, talk to somebody and just, you know, do your best, man, to get right in your relationship with God. If you're here today and the enemy's condemning you and he's beating you up and he's telling you there's no forgiveness, take your life. That's the story of the devil. John 10.10, the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal you from God. He wants you to kill yourself. And he wants to destroy you forever in hell. That's the agenda of the devil. But Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and that more abundantly. Thank God for his forgiveness. So cool, man. Let's pray. 
Lord, we thank you so much for allowing us uh, this time, Lord, to study your word. I pray, Lord, that uh, we would be um, faithful servants, Lord, uh, that we wouldn't stumble, even though I know we're going to sin, not like that, Lord, not to the point of denying you or especially of betraying you. But Lord, if for some reason we do stumble and sin, and, and I know we do on a fairly consistent basis, I'm sorry to say, I just want to thank you personally in my own life, Lord. Thank you so much for forgiving me and washing me and making me as white as snow. I pray, Lord, that you would bless your people and do whatever work needs to be done tonight. Lord, I pray in every heart, and I pray in Jesus' name. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.